Welcome back to another edition of today's episode. Carol and the End of the World is a new limited series on Netflix created by Dan Gutterman. On this podcast, we're discussing the pilot and the distraction, the first two episodes which follow Carol Cole as she lives out her final months on Earth before the planet is completely destroyed and humanity is wiped out forever. Give me your comparisons. Oh, I have a lot of comparisons. All right. Twilight Zone, Last Man on Earth, Corporate, Fired on Mars, Louis, Big Prize, Door. And then there was one that was just in my head that I lost. And so I'll you go, went go with TV shows. Uh, some TV shows. I also went with a few stray thoughts. I had uh, The Purge in there. And then I also had Don't Look Up. Well, I have uh, Seeking a Friend for the End of the World, which I think is True. an underrated yeah. 2012 romantic comedy. The Steve Carell one, and then the one lady from Sex and the City. Yeah, right? no, it, with Kira Knightley. The summary is, with an impending asteroid collision that will destroy Earth, Dodge embarks on a journey to reunite with his high school sweetheart along the way he meets his quirky neighbor, Penny. And I think the Sex and the City character that you're talking about might be his wife in the movie, but oh, okay. I'm not sure. But then I also had Silent Night, which came out two years ago. Not the Joel Kinnaman film, but almost to the day two years ago, December 2021, a group of friends who reunite for one final Christmas right before an ambiguous apocalypse will wipe out all of humanity, also starring Karen Knightley, and then a week after that is when Don't Look Up came out on a different streaming network. Yeah, but the similarity between Don't Look Up and this is it's the most connected because Don't Look Up is all about denial. It's about people not wanting to face the truth. They don't want to look up, right? They don't want to see what's coming. This is all about acceptance. Everyone except for, well, not except for Carol, but mostly except for Carol, has accepted that they're going to die. And so what do people do in that circumstance? Well, a lot of them are extroverts and decide that this is their time to live life to the fullest, to YOLO. Uh, And so Carol is kind of left behind, wishing that the world was um, (laughs) pre-pandemic, wishing that the world was a place where she could still go to work and go to Applebee's and maintain that routine that she's so used to. Well, she's seen her friends and her family do crazy things skydiving uh, her parents become a thruple they're going off on a cruise they're now nudists like it, it's just insanity around her and she feels like the only one with a brain so she's kind of shutting down within herself she's having an ex- existential crisis she's uh already middle-aged because i think it's shown in the second episode that she was part of the, the class of 1978 and they have cell phones so i i believe that we're in the in the current uh, day and age, so I don't know how old she is, but she must be at least middle aged. Well, it's actually strange they say a thing about the age because this cast is primarily older than a lot of other animated shows. Martha Kelly. So this is like the Boston legal of animated yeah, shows. Yes, Martha Kelly, who plays Carol, is 55, and then you have Beth Grant, who plays Pauline. She's 74. She was a celebrity coordinator for Jimmy Carter's first presidential campaign. And then you have Lawrence Pressman, who played Bernard. He's 84. He's known for Doogie Howser, MD, which premiered back in 1989. Ladies Man premiered back in 1980, and probably my favorite fact, he was in a 1971 film called The Hellstrom Chronicles, a documentary horror and apocalyptic prophecy film, which won the 1972 Academy Award for Best Documentary Feature. Interesting. Well, I can tell you one person who isn't old that's on the cast would be Yumulak. Yes, somehow he has found his way into this show. That was the point I was getting to. Yumulak from Solar Opposites. What's his real name? Sean Gambrone. He is at least half the age of, I think, the youngest the second youngest person in this show. He plays the son of Eric. Eric is someone who's become obsessed with Carol, the main character, after a one-night stand in the first episode. And I think he's going to... Everybody... You see, when when you're about to die, 
I guess it's kind of a, a common phenomenon that everybody clings to something, right? And in the second episode, the name of the episode is The Distraction. Why is it The Distraction? Because everybody's looking to distract themselves. And while most people do it with like spending uh, egregious amounts of money, going on vacations, having fun that way, well, Carol does it. She joins an office community, a, a group mind thinking of people where they go every single day to an office, even though all the other offices are shut down and they just do corporate analytical accounting work in cubicles so that's that's her thing that's almost straight up like seeking a friend for the end of the world at the beginning of the movie everyone knows that the world is going to end but they're trying to find a manager for like whatever they're working for whatever job they have yeah, because the, they can't fill the, the boss shift. here is just clicking numbers on a calculator and acting like he's upset about something when he hires her but whenever she tries to uh approach the issue and say what are we doing here or anything like that it takes until the end of the episode until she actually makes a friend who helps her get the toner that she needs um, after a failed experiment of her going to every single office max around trying to replace the toner and then her having to rob her friend for it. But the point is, like, everybody is seeking out a distraction and in the big prize door, they did the same thing. So this new thing came into town. Obviously, it wasn't going to destroy the world, but it did cause an issue in, in people's lives because it was it was prophetic. It was telling people exactly what their potential was. And so it was causing them to like uh, break up with their like Dusty's parents. They separated. His dad became a male model. His mom went to go find herself in Europe. That's very similar to here where her parents, uh, uh, Carol's parents, again, rebonded um, joined a throuple and then are now touring as nudists uh, to different countries. I now so, understand what Dan Gutterman was saying, the creator of this, when he said that the end of the world was really supposed to be in the back of the show. Because yeah. for something that is so plot-centric on the apocalypse, what he's saying, and it seems like from the summary that you're giving, people were more just trying to find like any way to not think about it. Two of my three pros for the show follow that exact same thought process because it's a never ending supply of what would people do in this situation and they're able to show it mostly from the animation in the background jokes. People flying past in their motorcycles, wearing masks, uh, having sex constantly like there are parties going on and it's a lot more kumbaya like people have embraced it and, and are just yoloing it out there versus the purge where people would just be killing each other and there'd be crime and I'm sure that that would be more realistic if it was kind of a mix of both but the tone of the show is not supposed to be anything more depressing than what Carol's life is already, which is that she's a lonely person, she's introverted, and she's spending the last moments of, or the last bit of time that she has doing nothing different and also kind of like watching everybody else succeed and have fun without her. So I was, okay, I was just about to ask if the show was feel good, but you're saying it's not supposed to be more depressing than Carol, yet that's who we follow. Yeah, my third pro is that the awkwardness uh, of the parents, the family, their pressure that they're putting on Carol, like they're constantly like, so what have you been doing? Like, mm -hmm. what are you doing with your amazing amount of time that we have on our hands? And that, and they're pushing her to like uh, go out there and, and, and that's why she goes and, and has the one night stand. But it really is in the second episode where she finds uh, that group of uh, like-minded individuals who just don't want to process the end of the world in that way. They don't want to go to Tibet and become a monk. They don't want to try different foods and become an adrenaline junkie like her sister, who's just going across the world uh, bar hopping and, and skydiving. But her thing, like, it's, it's definitely approaching comedy in, from that uh, sad, sad way, not like sad clown, but s sort of. 
I'm, I'm just, it's strange because Dan Gutterman, he was a satirical writer for The Onion for 11 years, and then he wrote for the Colbert Report for the last four, and probably the reason that this show was greenlit was because he worked on Rick and Morty humor, yet you're saying that the humor is more down to earth. And he worked and on- very existential, because the first scene of the show, and throughout the second episode, she's dreaming she's having these moments of just like seeing her life from afar she's having a, a butterfly emerge from a cocoon all that like kind of um uh, animated stuff yeah the existential makes more sense because i was going to say that gutterman he worked on famous episodes of rick and morty i'm talking the ricks must be crazy the car engine inception episode that i think even guest starred stephen colbert the rick lantis mix up the season three episode with all the different ricks and mortys and then two episodes later the morty mind blowers again kind of all over around that uh that complex idea so yeah you can compare it to twilight zone and rick and morty and but it's never gotten to that level where you can't follow the same stream of consciousness throughout the episode mm -hmm. like in that second one it's just her at her job we see a brief moment of eric freaking out that he can't have the girl that he just met and like he's completely obsessed with her and then you see yum yalak the son uh whatever his real name is in the show um coming after carol and asking her to like go back to her dad but besides that it's all from carol's perspective and she she's just trying to make the, get toner the entire 30 minutes so in a way that drifts into my cons because who is this show really for it feels kind of like i'm watching um, a provoking or um, a, a short that you would see in someone's thesis in college, right? <laughs> yeah. Like there's there's the existential dreams. Her voice is very monotone throughout the whole thing. And there's so many series that kind of vie for this same sort of comedy. The, the, the one, the Fired on Mars one um, that has Luke Wilson in it, I think. Yeah, it is. Like that's a very similar premise where everything around him is so crazy and spectacular. He's on a different planet. Yet his day-to-day -day is just office work where he can't even perform his essential duties. I don't like how you said the college thing because I was going to bring up later how in 2021 for my final semester of college, I wrote a short film called Who to Call? And my script was about two brothers wondering who they were going to call as an asteroid was approaching Earth and about to destroy it. Yeah. <laughs> it seems like you're saying this show is doing almost the exact same thing. Well, I Kinda promise I wasn't it. thinking about that when I said that, but yeah. <laughs> you're saying it's just keeping it too low low stakes because even in things like fiona and cake and adventure time they address apocalyptic events they address the end of the world but which also starred sean gambrone but it did so in such a way where it seemed like kind of it was it was a big deal yeah i mean i think we're just reaching a new era of tv where um shows like this can exist in a one-off form it's a limited series it's 10 episodes it's kind of like a south korean thing where they would release a season of something and that would be it mm -hmm. and it exists and it's there for anybody who wants to go back to it in 10 years but it's not supposed to incite like this huge rebirth audience from netflix for this specific type of content like it's not the thing that they're um, promoting on the front page every single day my biggest con though with the show is that it doesn't really add up remember in don't look up people are just at the very end accepting the fact that they're going to die Starting to everybody's look up, yeah. freaking out right yes and so like the world goes into explosion mode like the tv stop working everything starts like falling apart this has had uh, apparently a very long time for people to get used to this and the office buildings may be empty but the grocery stores are still like working 
Who's picking the fruit? Who's putting that stuff there? Also, the National Guard is running things, but why does the National Guard even care about this stuff when everybody's about to die in seven and, months? And yeah, Cable sh- news is still working. The subways are still working. Uh, shipping is still working. You, you can still send an Amazon package. Cell phones or cell phone towers must still be there. The infrastructure that I would expect to crumble, and in some parts it has, like the office maxes, but in a lot of places it, it, places it hasn't, and I just couldn't make sense with that. The only way that it could make sense and it's not for this show but this could be a giant ad for why automation is good to embrace because if there <laughs> yeah. ever was a situation where humanity was about to die and we had every like computer there um doing the task force the day-to-day stuff then we wouldn't have to worry about that at least and i understand that it's an animated comedy but with something like seeking a friend for the end of the world they had three weeks and it even starts off saying that their plan to try and kill the asteroid didn't work with don't look up they had like that mid middle point where they were planning on sending all those rockets to try and destroy it it seems like with seven months humanity would try and save itself at least one more time or give a last ditch effort because like you're saying that is over half a year that is kind of a long time well keep in mind too that everything that we see is through carol's perspective so she's not part of the white house or whoever's making those decisions as to what the steps are to try to combat this thing we're just left to understand that no one's expecting us to survive it so it's it's basically already uh, concrete, and that's why those last seven months, it's kind of like getting a cancer diagnosis or something that where you you really only have a certain amount of time to live, and so everybody's like trying to make the most of it. I just don't understand why money means anything, you know? Yeah, and, and also why the Elon Musk's of the world wouldn't be blasting off into space. That's always that's always been a question for me in terms of currency. Like I, it seems like whenever they do these apocalyptic shows, in order to do it for like a lot of money, the people will like do something crazy and maybe it's those people that don't believe in it that are doing the money like they feel because they've lived on earth for their whole lives that's all they know that there's no way things could get to a point where it would be inhabitable but uh at the same time what was that kevin um uh not kevin james what's his name uh the ethan hawk movie that just came out where leave the world behind that it, the, oh, that's the one you've been talking yes, about? Yes, because Inverse.com said that 2023 is the year of apocalypse media from January's Last of Us to December's Leave the World Behind. What it really is, is people from the pandemic who were writing scripts finally got those scripts made and chucked out there and like produced and, and put out there. So that's why this is like very similar to pandemic feel to it. I know that they just, they based Carol off of who they were able to get, Martha Kelly, because Dan Gunnerman. She's like a Daria mixed with Dilbert from the comic strips. Well, the creator met her in 2002 at a Just for Laughs festival. And yeah. then after she read a few pages, she decided to sign on to it. Donna, uh, I guess, Wano, did you know who voiced her? I recognized the voices, but I didn't like, really like look into them. The only one that was very obvious was, again, Yemulak, because I've yeah. heard him so often. Yeah, yeah. so it was the woman from Vice Principals, okay. Walton Goggins and Danny Masterson Wasn't she show. the blonde? The, the main lead blonde? Yeah, no, the main one that takes over as the vice principal, or the principal. That would have been much later in the series than I watched. The director for the first episode, Erica Hayes, actually directed the Rick and Morty court clip that was released on YouTube in oh, 2016. Cool. No, I remember that, yeah. And I think that wow, she's that was on, that long ago? Yeah, other things like BoJack Horseman, which people have also compared this to. They say it's more BoJack Horseman than Family Guy. Hmm. I, you know, no, it's BoJack Horseman because of the depression feel of the main character. However, the main character is less charismatic here. The third con that I have is that the main character is sort of dumb. She spends that entire third episode going to every single Office Max to find the toner, then she
she finally goes to her friend's party and steals the toner from her at gunpoint, which I get is funny because of, like, the situational comedy to it. But there were so many other ways of going about it, and also, like, how she just continually, her lies fall on top of other lies when she's talking to her parents and stuff. Like, I don't understand why at a certain point she couldn't just be like, you know what, it's the last seven months, I'm doing whatever the fuck I want, you know, that type of thing. But that's what so many people, it seems like, in this show are doing anyways, I mean, not to actually go do something crazy, but to, like, when they start judging her, or when Mm -hmm. she's afraid of their judgment, like, at a certain point, just break free from that and say, you know what, if I want to break into an Applebee's, sit in a booth and cry (laughs) for six hours, go ahead and try to stop me. I don't know, know why the police are doing their jobs either, because they stop her from sleeping outside in Applebee's. I guess some people just believe that it's not going to happen. This is like a Y2K situation (laughs) however the difference is you can see the planet in the sky that's about to hit them and it's beautiful you know they animated it beautifully (laughs) so what would you would you give it a passing grade yeah i would say that this show for the audience that it's looking at is definitely deserving of a watch it's six out of ten i would give it because i'm not going to go out there to recommend it to anyone else but i don't want to knock it too hard for the fact that it doesn't it's not realistic to mm-hmm. an apocalypse because that's not the point of it. I also don't want to knock it too much because it feels too artsy for for a lot of these other things. I will say that like m- there are so many other things in the field like you were talking about that it, it, it would make it near the bottom of the list yeah. if you're just trying to make your way through all of them. And if you're even talking about not just comedies, but other things like uh, The Leftovers or even The Hundred, The Walking Dead, Last Man on Earth, which I know you mentioned earlier, Black Mirror, Falling Skies. Those were all shows I had that I, I thought mean, you might compare it to. way closer to corporate than it is to all those, especially that second episode because the, the corporate comedy, that Lance Reddick show, yeah. um, where where it's uh, there's a deep sarcasm to everything and she is trying to talk to people around her in the desk job. She's enjoying it because that's what she wants in life. But at the same time, they're all named Terry and they all refuse to speak to her because they're all grunt workers doing their job. And again, the only person she makes friends with is Donna. That's a 6.9 on IMDb, around 500 reviews. And it seems like people enjoy the first six episodes and the last four episodes have been really polarizing. Either right. People have said that's really good or really bad, but it's 100% on Rotten Tomatoes with an 87% audience score. It's really easy to watch. Like it's not one of those ones where I ever felt like I really wanted to turn it off because it was either so awkward or just so bad. I would say, my favorite moment would be when in the first episode she was contacting her credit card company because she was afraid of the debt she was accruing and she gets a message back from the actual president the ceo of the of the (laughs) bank and the bank and the guy was writing everybody a note he has a huge beard at this point he's literally living his life as aquaman in some like random island and he's telling everybody like hey you have no debt with me just live your life to the fullest you've only got time so it's all about just keeping sane yeah yeah Thanks for listening. We'll see you on the next episode. Hope you enjoyed this one. Bye. Bye.